You're listening to audio from Grace Hills Church in Aliso Viejo, California. For more information, visit us online at gracehills.com. Amen. Good morning, church. All right, we're awake. Glad to see you all. Not sure if that last thing I did is going to get me in trouble or praises later. We will find out. Um, if you are new, my name's Simon. I'm one of the pastors here. Grateful that you've come to join us. Uh, do me a favor. Before you leave, shake my hand. Say hi. I'd love to hear how you, how you came here and how you stumbled across our, uh, our little church family here. I'd love to meet you. Um, I will go ahead and just start this way. Normally, you're like, give us a cute story, Simon. I'll give you just a practical story from this week. Uh, this week is interesting. So uh, as I have been preparing for the end of the book of James, uh, I've come into this uh, section of Scripture. Uh, most would agree that this is the hardest passage in the book of James. Uh, it's complicated. There's a lot going on. Um, and I was just kind of wrestling through it. And if you wonder what I do during the week... Um, I spend a lot of time preparing and thinking about these sermons. Uh, it's not the only thing I do, but it's the most visible thing that I do. And so usually my week starts on Monday where I crack open uh, my Bible and my resources and I just read and read and read and consume a bunch of information. And then Tuesday, I work from home, so I have like no distractions except for all the distractions of my own life in my house. And then I write all day long. And then Wednesday, I come in. And then I walk through with Justin so he can prepare all of the questions and the resources that you have for your life groups. Thursday morning, I come in when no one's around and I preach to an empty room. I have yet to convert one chair. I keep waiting. It's not happening. So I don't, I, I'm doing it wrong, I guess. And then uh, Saturday night, I pray for about an hour alone outside. And then I come in Sunday morning and I run through it in my office. My books haven't repented either. And then I come out here and we do it. Wednesday this week, I was walking through this section that I had written with Justin. And by the time I finished describing the sermon and everything I wrote, I said, this might be the worst sermon I've ever written. This is garbage. And I was super frustrated. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. And Justin's like, oh, I'll pray for you. And I'm like, yeah, let's do that. And so I bowed my head. He's like, oh, you mean like now? I'm like, yeah, like now. Like, you need to pray now if this is going to work out. And so he prays for me. I walk away. I noodle on it with Mark for like 10 minutes in the front. I'm like, all right, I got a new game plan. I scrapped everything and we're doing this, 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 and this. And so if you need prayer, the moral of the story is Justin, apparently, when he prays, things change. So if you like this sermon, you can say, Justin, good prayer. And if you hate it, it's all his fault. That's really the two ways that we can go with this. But I will say this. Um, all joking aside and in seriousness, I could spend four weeks in this passage easily, but I'm not going to. There's a lot of good, thick, rich theology in here, and we could look at all these different things, but I think that we'd get distracted from the big idea as we land the plane today. As we come to the end of this letter and what James is trying to accomplish in it, I think if I tried to hit all these things, we'd miss kind of what was really happening with these people and what God wants for us. So I will talk about some of it, but if you're looking for a full, thorough explanation of everything, you're probably gonna be a little bummed out on all the little moving parts. But I'm gonna read it, and then we're gonna jump into it and get after it. So uh, please turn with me to James chapter five. 
13 through 20 is where we're going to be today. If you don't have a Bible, there's some in the seat backs in front of you. You can take one. If you don't own a Bible, I would love for you to grab that Bible, take it as a free gift, or you can just follow along. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing song, let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power at his working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you want, is want. Uh, one wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Let's go ahead and pray and we'll jump in. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this book, the book of James, the letter that James wrote to these men and women so long ago. It is a blessing that we have this, that we can look to this, that as you have been continually calling men and women back to teleos, to wholeness, to fullness in the relationship with you and the relationship with others, that you would do a mighty work in us as well. Lord, if there are areas that we need to be engaging you, that you would bring that up. If there's areas of sin in our life that we need to repent of, that you would let us be repentant. If there's areas where we need spiritual healing, that you would bring the spiritual healing that we need. And Lord, I ask that you would cause us to be men and women, Christians of action, that we don't sit on the sidelines of this world, not engaging the people that you love and care for. We love you. Holy Spirit, is there anything in my notes that's not from you, please take it away. And if there's anything that I need to say, allow me to have the courage and the boldness and the strength to say it, knowing that it is from you. Pray these things in your glorious and amazing name. Amen. All right. So much of this letter has been about spiritual drifting and the idea of even wandering from these men and women in general, and that James has been continually and constantly been calling them back to be in right relationship with God. He's saying there's fractures in your life, and he's hit all these different sections, and now he's calling them to be in teleos with the Father. See, James knows that if we're disconnected from God, if we're disconnected from the Father, we are just like a drowning person in desperate need of that life ring. And if we're not connected to him, we're not holding onto the life ring. And Jesus is our life ring. He is the one that gives us the power and the ability to endure this world. And what James wants to press into is the idea that prayer is the way that we continue that relationship with the Father and with each other. Now, like I said, it's a complex passage. I'm not going to hit it all. I'm going to do my best. I'm sure this will actually open up a lot of opportunities in your life groups this week to talk about a lot of different things. If you're not in a life group, I'm going to shamelessly plug that you join a life group of some place because that is where we get to talk about these areas in our life. And maybe you've gone through this 11-ish weeks with me, and if you're like, this is about the time when I tune Simon out and I start thinking about lunch and what I have to do at home, I would just say, if you do that, that's fine. I can't stop you, but I would say this. Think about this. 
What is one thing that God has placed on your heart during these 11 weeks? What is one thing that God has caused you to realize there's a fracture in your relationship with God, there's a fraction in your relationship with others, or there's an area where he's called you to repent? Just noodle on that through the sermon if you don't want to listen. Now, my first point is this, is that prayer is key and that involving God in every aspect of our lives, right? So that's going to be verses 13 through 14. He's going to start with the thrust of this section and the big idea that we need to be thinking about for every single believer, every follower of Christ, everyone that calls themselves a Christian is prayer. Now, that's key and paramount to who we are as believers. Uh, If I told you that uh, I am married to my beautiful wife and we have a great relationship, we talk once a week, no matter what, even if we don't need it, we're going to talk one time a week. Do you think that that is going to be a very strong marriage? Do you think that there's going to be a connectedness to that marriage? No. As a matter of fact, I might say that that marriage would potentially be very doomed and may not have the longevity it needs to actually survive. Well, that's the same way it is with God when it comes to prayer. See, God communicates us in lots of different ways that we can listen to him and hear him. Primarily, we have his word that we call the Bible that we read and we listen to, but he has other ways that he communicates. But do you realize that we have only one way to communicate with God? It's prayer. It's the only way that we have to communicate with God, that we would pray to, talk to, reach out to him. See, God wants us to involve him in every single aspect of our life. And that's where he starts, where he launches into this. He says, if you're suffering, I want you to pray. If you're cheerful, joyful, happy, sing songs of praise, which is a way of communicating to God and the world around you of what's going on. If you're sick, have God's people, primarily the elders, come and pray over you. Now remember, he's writing to men and women that are going through very difficult circumstances. We just spent the last two weeks looking at how hard it was for these men and women. It was difficult. It wasn't easy. He knows their suffering. He even launched out of the letter in chapter 1-5, says, if any of you are, you know, he talks about the whole suffering line, then he says, if any of you is lacking wisdom, what does he say? Ask for wisdom. What's he saying? Pray. Pray that God would give you understanding about what you're going through. Pray that he would reveal to you what it is that's going on. He's saying pray in hardship. It's not a new concept. He's been saying it all along. He's saying if you are in a time of joy, are you cheerful? Are you happy? Are you full of encouragement? then you should praise God with your voice. The word praise here is actually connected to the idea of singing, of stringed instruments. It's actually connected to that very idea. What we were doing earlier is just that. Worship is, is, it's not complicated. It happens in a lot of different ways. We just think, oh, worship, it's music time. It's more than that. But really what's happening is when we worship, it's the outward expression of what's happening inwardly in our heart as we think about who God is. So we are communicating outward to God and to those around us of how great and amazing our God is. So it doesn't matter how good your voice is. God, I heard that God is tone deaf and he loves all of your bad singing. That's why he allows me to sing every single week. But it's it's this idea like I want the world to know. I want to communicate the goodness and the greatness of God. And he says, if you're sick, call on the elders of the church to come and pray over you. Anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord. 
You know what I love about this passage that maybe you're not thinking of? It just assumes that there's elders at every local expression of the church. That there is a church governance that is there, that the elders are the leaders of the church, that they seek God out, they hear his word, they implement that, and they lead the church to go where God has called them to go. And that they are the ones that are taking a spiritual responsibility and accountability for what we do as a church. We have an elder team. You've been slowly seeing the elders preaching on a regular basis coming up here, that you're starting to meet them and know them if you're new that we love you, that we care for you, that we get together and we pray over you and for you all the time. We have a text thread that we're constantly texting. We have emails that we're constantly emailing to each other too because we love you. We care for you. We take our roles very seriously. And so he's assuming like, if there's someone sick, the elders should go and pray over them. Now, there's a few things about this that are important for us to understand. There's this idea of prayer and this anointing of oil. I want to talk about the oil thing for a second. Um, and there's two things that I want to point out on it. Now, oil in that day and in that age was seen as a medicinal way of bringing healing. That there was a part of it that was, it was soothing and it helps the muscles and the skin. And, and they would use that oil to do that. The same way they would use wine as an antiseptic as well, right? So there are these things that they use. So yes, there was a somewhat medical connection to these two uh, fluids, but that's not primarily what he's talking about. Yeah, that's a part of it, but that's not really the thrust. If you know the Bible, the history of the Bible, and if you kind of like go through the Old Testament, you'll see that oil and anointing shows up at different times in the Bible. And what we see is that throughout the Bible, it's a way to consecrate those that God has a purpose for to do what he's called them to do. We see this with King Saul, the first king that Israel would have in 1 Samuel 10.1. We see that with David in 1 Samuel 16.13 with David. There was a pouring of oil over the head of that individual. And so they were being anointed. They were being set apart for the work of God to do what God would have them do for his glory. But then you see this other aspect that comes along with it as well in verse 14, that there's an anointing by the Spirit. And so David had the Holy Spirit come upon him in that moment. So what's happened is there's this dual kind of thing taking place. That as we pray over as elders, we're praying over individuals, we're setting them apart for the purpose of God to be used by him, that God would use them for his glory, whatever situation they're in, and that the spirit would have control over their life to run that to whatever God's full extent is. So, but we got to remember something. It's not about the oil. Like I don't have a big drum of 1040 oil in my office that's got some special powers that I hose people down with when I run through hospitals. Like that's not what happens. I don't have some magic oil. It's not the oil that's doing it. It says that they would do this in who? The name of the Lord. So who is the one that heals? Man, it's God, Jesus. I'll take either of those answers. They'll both work in my world. It's God's the one who heals. God is the one that does the healing portion of it. It's not this magic oil. So he says, when you're sick, pray. Now, if you start to look at what he's talking about, he's really grouping all aspects of everyone's life in the good times and in the bad times, when it's hard, when it's great. Like all of that's coming together. He's saying that we should be focused on God in every aspect of our life. We should be praying and praising in everything that we do. See, the Christian says, 
God, I want you in control of every part of my life. I don't want to hold back any aspect of my life. I want to include you in everything. If you truly are the God of the universe, if you know all things and you hold all wisdom in your hand, why would I not want you a part of every single part of my life and what I'm doing? Because if you know best, I want to be doing what you want. I want to be submitting to you in every area that that exists in. Be a part of me, God, and not just the good times, but in the bad times, and not just the bad times, excluding the good times. We do that too, right? God's good when things are good, and he's bad when things are bad. Like, we do that all the time. I only talk to God when my problems have shown up, and when things are good, it must be because I'm doing everything great. We do that all the time. My second point is the prayer of faith, verse 15. He's gonna go into more detail about sickness, and it's going to start being connected to lots of different areas of faith and physical well-being and salvation. It's all kind of intertwined in this very short little section. Now, I believe we've got to do a little bit of work here if we want to understand exactly what's being said, because I believe over time, this particular verse has been used out of context. I believe it's created bad theology that has led people into really hard places. I think it's put expectations on people that have caused them to be crushed and to be hurt and to go, well, if this doesn't happen, I guess that either I don't love God or God doesn't love me or I'm doing something wrong and I haven't figured out the magic formula. And they've turned from God because people have preached this in a way that is inaccurate, that doesn't follow Scripture, the totality of Scripture. I wish that I had the ability to walk into every single hospital and pray everybody out. I wish I had that ability. This week, I was visiting one of the, the people from our congregation, love him dearly, he's a good friend, um, and I, I've prayed over him many times in the hospital, and this week was no exception. I will tell you what didn't happen. He didn't hop out of bed and put on his clothes and leave. Does that mean that I have bad faith? Does that mean that I don't have a strong enough faith that he didn't, that he didn't come out? I, I've prayed for people that are sick and they didn't get better. I've prayed for people that are dying and they died. So does that mean that I have something wrong with me or there's something wrong with them and that's why it didn't happen? See, we have to ask these questions because all these assumptions lead down a road that can be very dangerous if not careful. See, 15 says, the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. Now, I'm not going to go super deep, but there's a little bit of work that we have to do to understand what's being said. There are words that are being used here that James is using that are different than maybe we would interpret them or understand them. The word save in this context can mean a spiritual or a physical saving. It, that's how it translates out. It can go either side. To heal or to save. That's what he's saying. And the word sick can be used in the way that we understand sick as being I'm ill, I'm not well, but it can also be translated or be in the same thread as being exhausted. So there's this physical and there's this spiritual area that they're connected to. Let me just help you understand this idea. Um, if you've ever been in sin, if you've ever tried to continue going in sin or continue to keep a lie going or tried to carry the weight and the burden of sin, you know how it feels? Exhausting. It's exhausting to try to walk through life with the burden and the, and, 
and the problem of sin in your life, to continue with sin in life, you feel the weight of that. That's why we say there's freedom when you come to Christ. What is the freedom? It's throwing the sin off and not having the burden of sin that exists on your life, that you can walk freely. If you've ever done any kind of workout where you have to carry lots of weight, the best thing in the world is when you take that weight off and you feel like you can jump a million miles high. That's what he's saying. That's, so there's this dual thing that's happening in here. Now, there's something that we need to understand that we can say what it isn't talking about. I think it's important sometimes to know, like, this is what it's not saying. It's not saying that if you have enough faith, you can be healed. If your faith is weak, that's why you're not being healed. It's not saying that. And that's for the person who's sick or the person who's praying. Either one. That's not, that's not communicating that idea. The other thing that it's not saying, it's not talking about last rites as people pray over people who are dying on their deathbeds to get into heaven. That's not what it's saying. Uh, the Catholics have used this in a certain way at different times where they would come in and as long as the priest comes in with the oil and he wipes the oil and does all the thing like, okay, you're in. Maybe some purgatory, but you're in. That's not what it's saying here. It's not alluding to that. The other thing it's saying is that not all prayer will heal people. See, the word that James uses for prayer, it's literally a different word than the word for prayer he's used through the entire letter. It's not even the same word. And so this word prayer, what it means, it's a prayer vow. A reverent petition to a deity often containing vows as well as petitions. When we think of the word vow, what do we think of? Wedding, right? Wedding, Vows, this is, we got to work together. If it's going to be a good day, we got to like help each other out here. I'm not alone, okay? It's wedding vows. We think about, what is that about? I am in this relationship. Good times, bad times, sickness, health, richer, poor, whatever the world may throw at us, I'm in. It's about saying, I'm not leaving regardless. You think that pertains what we're talking about? as we're making these prayers of faith that I'm not leaving regardless of what happens, regardless of the situation, because you are so good, you are so great, that I'm in this relationship, God. Now, I need to say a couple of things here. And I'll probably say it a couple of times. Um, not all sin in a person's life leads to sickness. Okay? Hear me say that. Not all. All sin leads to sickness. Every time you get a cold, you're like, oh, I swore I got a cold this week. Oh, man, I, I, I had a bad thought about someone. I got the flu. Oh, man, I, I, I stumbled with lust and I looked at porn and now I, I, I'm sick for a couple. That's not, that's not what it's saying. That's, that's not what's going on. We see that in John 9, 1 through 3. Jesus heals this blind man. So as he passed by, he saw a blind man from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So Jesus says, It's not that there was any sin that he had committed. There wasn't anything that he did that caused this. This was because God was going to be glorified as I healed this individual so people would turn back to God and see the goodness of a God who saves and heals his people. Now, with that being said, 
Sometimes. Sometimes it can be. Sometimes there can be sin that leads to sickness. Now, I'm not saying all the time. I'm saying sometimes. Where do I see that? Same book. John 5, 14. This is the, uh, the man, the, the cripple at Bethsaida, right? Goes to, the, goes to the pools, goes in, he comes out healed, right? 14. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and he said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. That there was something going on that he calls him out of sin or something else worse may happen. That there is a connectedness to this. Now, if you go to 1 Corinthians 11, 28. Lost my spot. 28 through 30 would say this. Let each person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. He's talking about communion. For everyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. So they're taking communion in an unworthy manner. There's sin in their life and that somehow people are getting sick in this moment. I think we can get stuck on the miracle part of this so much that we're missing the big idea. Jesus and Paul are both pointing to the same thing. What is it? Repent of this sin. That you would leave this sin to get your attention. Like, this is not good for your spiritual life. That this is even more important than your physical well-being. That you need to get right with God. I'm not saying this. That if you're sick or blind or paralyzed or in a hard spot that you're in sin. That is not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that. So please don't hear me say that if you're in this room. Hence the word in verse 15, if, right? If you have committed sins, he will be forgiven. There's something about being sick injured, hurt, that makes you realize the mortality of who you are as a human being. Is that, is that a fair statement? I don't get sick very often, but when I do, it's like 150%. I'm going to go all on. I got sick like two weeks ago. You know what the word, it wasn't like I had some disease. I had a head cold, a head cold. I was out for four days. I couldn't do anything. I'm like, Am I this weak? Am I this frail that my sinuses have taken me out? And you know what's crazy? All you have is time. You don't want to watch TV. You don't want to talk. All you got time is to think, huh? And you start thinking about your life. You start thinking about where you are. You start thinking about what's going on in your life. And there are times where you start thinking about your mortality. You start thinking about, man, am I right with God? Are there things in my life that may be wrong? Are there things in my life that may be off base? Are there things in my life that I need to kind of talk with God about right now as I'm dealing with those? If God wants to use sickness to get your attention, that is probably the best thing you need in your life at that moment. So here's what I would say. When I'm sick, I always examine, like, hey, is there something going on in my life that I need to address? Is there something in my life that I need to confess? If there's not, then there's not. 
Don't go on some crazy, weird witch hunt in your life making stuff up. Like, well, there's this kid this one time and I kicked him in the shins on the playground and so this is, must be... Stop it. Stop it. That's not what we're talking about. But God loves you enough to bring things to your attention. And here's the thing. You might just be sick. You might just be ill because we live in a fallen, broken world. That the reality of sin and what it has done and how it has destroyed everything good, that you are feeling the effects of living in a fallen and broken world. That just, that could be it. That's the reality. We know that things aren't right. That's why we want Jesus to come back to make all things right, right? What we see is that James is starting to press more and more in this idea of like, I want to get your attention. I want you to understand these fractures are problematic for your life. I want you to have teleos, the wholeness, the completeness that you desire in your life and that God desires for you. These fractures, these sins, this rebellion destroys the very thing that Jesus died for. And he's going to start to move to this idea of the importance of community and how the church works together within all of this. Yes, pray for your suffering and sing in praise. But when we're sick, we need to call others into that. My third point is praying together and confessing to one another. Verse 16. Now, James has hit over and over again about the importance of the unity of the body. We talk about the body, we're talking about the church. We're talking about us, okay? That's what we're talking about. Not living with partiality, caring for the marginalized, the dangers of quarreling, the dangers of fighting with each other, how to talk to each other, how to engage each other, how to engage the world, how to suffer well. He's fighting for unity over and over and over and over and over again, right? He's been constantly doing that through the entire letter. And it says this, we are to confess our sins to one another. That phrase, one another, is used all throughout the Bible, many, many times. As a matter of fact, it says, love one another 16 times. Romans 12, 10 and Romans 12, 16 talk about this idea that we are to uh, do life together, that we exist together. One of the reasons why we do life groups. It's hard for all of us to do life right now, isn't it? It's hard. It's too many people. When we shrink that number down, we start doing life together, we can start to be in real community. The church, and I've said this so many times, and I'll just say it until, until I'm done here. The church is not a service and it's not a building. It's a people. God refers to those people as his children and we are a part of a family. In family, we are open and trusting. We let people in. We share our problems. We share our hurts. We share our sadness. We share our victories. We share our joys. We do that. Now, I have talked about my friends that I have that I grew up with in high school. Um, they're amazing. I, I love those guys. Uh, some of them watch this service from time to time, and they call me out, and they say, oh, I'm not impressed with your sermons. I said, thank you for your lack of encouragement. You should stop listening. Um, but we talk all the time. But we all live in different states, so it's really hard to have group conversations. So my friends and I decided that the best platform for us to use would be a platform created for teenage girls called Marco Polo. And so we are on Marco Polo 
all the time. We have hundreds and hundreds of messages where we just do a video of ourselves. We can all see it, and we all interact with that video. I don't think Marco Polo's target audience was 40-plus-year-old married men. I just don't think that that was the target audience. But here we are. And um, we laugh. We joke, we rail each other, we mock each other, we point out our failures and our weaknesses, we talk about sports and what's going on in our families, and we have a good time. Some of the Marco Polos are hilarious that I will never share with you. (laughs) But let me tell you something. When something real happens in our lives, all the joking and the bantering and all that silliness stops immediately. We get real fast because we know that we don't have places where we can really be who we are and share our hurts and our pains and our weaknesses and how we've sinned and how we've screwed up. Sometimes it's to each other. Sometimes it's about other people. This stupid app that I use, it's what allowed me to work through my father's passing. And these guys came alongside me and they prayed for me, and they cared for me, and they lifted me up, and they cried with me. Right now, two of the guys are going through some hard stuff with their kids right now. It's tough. And we have been praying like crazy on that thing, and praying for each other, asking that God would give them strength, and endurance, and wisdom, and discernment, that they could glorify God in a very difficult circumstance. We need each other. Christians, you need each other. You're not meant to be alone. You're not meant to do this on your own. You're meant to be around other Christians. Confessing sins to each other is so important. Why? Because sin loses its power when it comes out in the open. Sin doesn't have a stronghold when we bring it into the light. Sin loves to be alone in the quietness of your heart, in the darkness of your heart, and it can control you so well there. God knows if you bring that out, you know what happens? As we share that with one another, you don't go like, well, I guess you're going to hell. No, we don't condemn. Well, you're a horrible person. Why did you do that? No, what do we do? We extend grace and mercy and love that we remember who we are and remember who they are and how when we were in that spot, we needed that. We, we speak encouraging words of affirmation with the word of God to each other, that we remember what the gospel says, that that sin, if you have confessed that sin and as far as the east is from the west, it has been removed, it is no more. That there is no power that the enemy has over you in that sin if you've given that to Christ. That you don't carry the weight and the guilt and the shame and the remorse and the regret everywhere you go. That you can throw that at the foot of the cross and it is gone. It is dead. It has been taken care of. When he said it is finished, it was finished. He did it. Like, Do do you understand in Christ that we are new, that we are whole, that we are complete? You may be here and you may not be a believer. You may not be a Christian. 
Do you know that the guilt and the shame and the regret that you feel by the things that you have done and the things that have been done to you, that you do not have to be a slave to those anymore? That if anyone would call on the name of Jesus, Jesus said, I will take that. I will put that upon myself. I have gone to the cross for you. I have died. I have taken the wrath of that sin. So why? So you could be connected to the Father forever. He offers that to anyone that would call on his name. I got to share that, this, that message this week. I was so encouraged to share that. And this young man said, yeah, I, I've done that. I'm like, yes, then you love Jesus. Then you're in, brother. I love that. See, prayer is how this works. We are praying for each other, for our problems, because the Lord is the one that gives us strength. We're saying, I can't, God. I need you to do it in my life. Prayer is that vessel. And it says the prayer of a righteous person have great power and it changes things. Can we sit on that for a second? Prayer has power and changes things. James is saying that to us. Prayer is not stagnant. We're not thinking happy thoughts into the universe. It's not what we're doing. You know why it has power? Because we pray to a powerful God. We pray to a God that has the ability to change and control everything. That's why it has power. What is the righteous man? The righteous man is the one that wants to be in the will of God no matter what and is willing to pray for the will of God, not his own will. That's who the righteous man is. He's saying, he starts talking about Elijah. If you know the story of Elijah, it's crazy. His, he, he had literal highs and lows on mountaintops and valleys, and he had emotional highs and lows and figurative highs and lows. One day he was on top of the world. There's like, I'm the only one left. Kill me, God. That's Elijah. Sounds a lot like people like us, right? He said he was a man just like you, and he prayed that it wouldn't rain for three years and six months, and it didn't rain. Here's what it wasn't. Hey, guys, you want to see a magic trick? I'm going to make it not rain. No. The purpose and the point that Elijah was getting to was trying to get God's people to realize their necessity for the God of the Bible, Yahweh, and to call them back in relationship with this God. That was the purpose. That's what he was getting at. He wanted them to stop sinning. He wanted them to stop worshiping false idols. He wanted them to turn to the true God who brings life. That's what he was calling them to to be in fellowship with God, to have teleos with God. And this is where James is starting to end this letter with this very idea. He has been calling the church to return to God as they have been under this stress and this suffering and this pressure. This, these fractures are starting to grow and he's calling them out the same way Elijah did, that they would come back. He's pointing out the sins and the problems that they have. So they would be connected to the Father. That they would return to authentic fellowship with God. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to do something dangerous now. <laughs> I want to stop in the middle of my service and I want to do this. So I told you, if you've been tuning me out for most of this, and I said, think about one thing. Think about the last 11 weeks and what God has put on your heart, what God has shown you, what God has said to you, what God has convicted you of, where he's shown fractures in your life. There is nothing 
more encouraging than allowing God to be seen for the God that transforms and calls people out of sin and back to him. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to stop talking for a few minutes, and I'm going to let all of you speak. And here's what I'm not looking for. Sermon two. <laughs> I'm looking for in a sentence or two what God has done in your life and what he's shown you. And we, I would love for as many can uh, stand up and just share that. And so I'm just not going to talk, and I would encourage you, be bold, be courageous, and know that by sharing this, it's a direct attack on the enemy, and it's a lifting up of how amazing our God is. So I'm just going to kind of stop, and you guys stand up and share for a few minutes, and then I want to wrap up the last two verses. Here's what I want to point out. Um, anytime that we are convicted of sins and where we need to grow, it's the, it's the active presence of God in our life because he loves us. James has been doing this with this group of individuals, calling them to that. Today, James has been calling us to that in our lives as well, isn't he? And it's interesting, as you get to the last two verses, which again, in typical James fashions, feel very out of place. They aren't. They aren't at all, actually. My fourth point is wandering from the truth and being used for God's work. Um, this whole story comes full circle. And what I mean by that is James is in a place where he was able to speak truth into the lives of those that had wandered off from the truth in some way, shape, or form. His whole letter is just bringing truth, the truth uh, mostly from his brother Jesus that he's been kind of reiterating back into their lives, right? And he's been doing that. And, and he points to the fact that we have a short memory. We have a really small attention span. We get easily distracted and the church falls into this all the time. Men and women wander from the truth. We slightly start to believe what the world is right and how it thinks. We let their values become our values. Their desires become our desires. And we wander away from what God would want for us. It reminds me of Luke 15. Luke 15, 3 through 7 says this. He, Jesus, told them a parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after one that is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 persons who need no repentance. What I love about this story is I feel like it relates to where we are today. Um, sheep wander off. Sheep aren't the smartest animal in the animal kingdom. And yet the Bible talks about us as being sheep all the time, doesn't it? A sheep is safest when it is in the flock and connected to the shepherd. That's when the sheep is safest. 
They don't meant to be on their own because any sheep, you ever see a sheep on its own? No, they're, 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 they're eaten. They don't, they don't live anymore. They're dead. They need to be together. The shepherd protects and is watching them. He knows when they're gone. He knows when they're there. He knows when they're hurt. He knows the sound of their voice, however that may be. And when they wander off, he goes and he grabs that sheep and brings it back in. This is what James has been doing with the early church. And this is where it turns to us. This is what he's calling us to do now. That as we receive teleos in our life, as we have the wholeness and the completeness that he's called us to, he's called us to be like Christ and to be the shepherd and that those that are wandering off, those that are far from God, those that have walked away from truth, that he is calling us to be the shepherd, to go and to find them, to love them and to speak truth into their life, to bring them back in the fold because they do not know where they are right now. I don't know who God has placed in your life. I don't. I don't know the relationships that you have, but chances are you know someone who at one point was a professing Christian who is now either believing some bad theology, listening to some bad uh, preachers, or has just completely gone off the deep end. But do you realize that God has placed you in their life to be a voice of truth and love that he is including you in his rescue plan for his people, to love them. I wish I had another 10 minutes. I really, really wish I do, and I don't. In Galatians, it tells us that we are to be about this. Galatians 6, 1, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. That He has called us to that very idea, that very truth to go into that. You know where it starts? Where we started today with prayer. As you pray for the heart of one that has walked away and that is far from God, that your heart would soften and see them the way that Jesus sees them that you would see yourself in that picture as well. Because this is all of our story, isn't it? That we all had wandered and were lost from God, and yet God went and found us and brought us back to the fold. That we have repented. That is important for those that have wandered off to know what repentance looks like and reconciliation looks like. The second thing that you would pray for is you would pray for yourself in your heart, that your heart would be softened, that you would understand how to engage them and to meet them where they are that God would give you opportunities. And most importantly, as it says in Ephesians 4, 15, that we would speak the truth in love. How would you want someone to approach you if you had wandered from the truth? How would you want them to engage you? So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna invite the band uh, back up here. And I'm, if you've noticed, in your bulletin, there's this little slip of paper. It just says prayer on it. It's got some lines on it. Um, we put that in there for a very specific reason. And here's the action item that I would want you to move into. One is this. If there is someone that you know that is, that is wandering from truth, a little or a lot, it does not matter, that you would write that name of that person on that piece of paper. This paper isn't meant to be thrown away later. It's meant to go in your dashboard. It's meant to go on your bathroom mirror. It's meant to go someplace that you have to see it every single day. Maybe it's on a wall that you look at. Maybe it's in a room that you always go into. But you would see that name and you would pray for that person who has wandered off. 
And you ask God, God, work in their heart. God, work in my heart. God, how would you want to use me in this way? The second thing I would want you to do is if you're like, I don't have anyone like that right now, or maybe you do, maybe it's someone who just, God's put on your heart that doesn't know Jesus. And that you would write their name on there. And over the next two weeks, you would pray aggressively that God would give you an opportunity to invite them to come here on Easter to hear the message of Jesus Christ. Because that's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna share Jesus, the good news of the gospel, that we have been saved by the blood of the lamb and that all that call on that name would be saved. Let me pray as we move into this time. Let us show the world the teleos that we have. Let us show the world that they can have that too as we end this book. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for this time in in this, this letter that you've used James in a way that is so unique and so practical you would show us where we're missing those things and I'm sure we could all share where you've used us God and you've spoken to us and I ask that we would press into that that we would repent and turn to you Lord as we find that wholeness in those areas of our life that you would then use us in full circle just like James was being used that we would be used for the world around us right now currently today that needs to know that we love you we thank you for what you're doing and ask that you would work mightily through us pray this in your name amen